You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting slasher movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B. McKenzie. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how well it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me online at B-Not-B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. This week, we are dissecting 2021's Fear Street Part 2, 1978, directed by Lee Janiak. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, We are recording this one week after we recorded the last one, so uh, not a whole lot, I I guess. Um, I was just telling B, actually, before we started recording... I just finished Grady Hendrix's newest book, um, The Final Girl Support Group, um, and B and I are both fans of Grady. Uh, I actually got the chance to interview him um, for Satanic Panic, which was a blast, um, because he wrote that movie, which was directed by our friend Chelsea Stardust. Um, And I mean, he's just a delight. And he's, I really, he just is such a fan and every book he seems to top himself and we, uh b and i were literally just discussing like we both really love the southern book club's guide to what is it southern book club guide to slaying vampires is that it um i think it is but uh we both really love that one and this one is like for for me it, i'd say it's like literally equal yeah, if not all vampires thought so okay yeah um this yeah, one's like so the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires yeah and then this one is the final girl support club um no it's final girl support group sorry support group and this one is like on par if not a little bit ahead and the only reason it would have a little edge is because i am such a obviously as you guys know a slasher fan <laughs> uh and so well, who book, are you yeah the book really is just a love letter to the genre really diving into a lot of tropes um but like going past it kind of asks the question of like what happens to a final girl after um which has been explored in movies very very limitedly um and this really like takes a full dive in and explores all the different ways that like people cope um and it's like, got a lot to do with grief and trauma um but it's just really good. And it's there's so, so many nods to slasher franchises that we all know and love um, that just anyone who's a fan will let – there's just no way you won't fall in love with it. Um, but also it's just Grady being Grady. And he has a real knack for um, really strong female leads, and that does not change here. Um, I know. So, I remember when I was on – the podcast talking about my best friend's exorcism. And I was like, it's so strange to me. Like I had to double check. I was like, this was written by a man, right? Like it is very fascinating to me because I felt like he captured like 
uh, the adolescence of a woman very well. I found it very relatable and like almost in a traumatic way, like brought me back to high school where I'm like, oh God, glad I don't like feel that way. So it's, yeah, it's insane to me the way he writes female characters. And the, all his leads are female. Um, like, uh, we sold our souls and Southern, um, Southern book club. And now this one, yeah, he just has a knack for it. Um, and I remember asking him in the interview, and I, I I have to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure I remember him just saying like that's always been like his favorite. And I think I remember him saying that he asks his like he always asks his wife if it sounds like something that would like they would say or do or act. Um, so you know he has his his people that he bounces things off of too. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, at even with like my best friend's exorcism, it's not even though it was about like female friendship and female adolescence for the most part he wasn't writing about anything explicitly female Mm -hmm. i think those characters could have been interchanged pretty easily and you know been a similar situation for adolescent boys yeah um i think it'd be a little bit different if he was writing about like a strictly female experience but that's not what he's doing yeah, it kind of is in Final Girls. I'll say that because of mm. what the well, like what women go through specifically because of it, and kind yeah. of the the there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to explore there. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but like definitely check it out. I um, like B said. I think he's just like figuring out how to hone his voice even more, and I just I love everything he does. Um, and then other than that, I um, decided to get back into the Flash uh after jumping out so long ago because i got so tired of time travel nonsense Mm. so Mm -hmm. yeah so i trudged through season three because it was like it was you know on on netflix it was still right where i jumped out of it and so i was like okay read a quick synopsis of what like just refresher and i got through the end of season three and then i loved season four so much because it's not a speedster and it's not a lot of time travel stuff um and it just made like it reminded me why i love the show because the characters are so good and the chemistry between team flash is just like really fun and enjoyable and i also just love how bright that show is and all the really weird characters that they pull out of like comic book minutiae um and growing up like a really like I grew up a comic book fan and like always loved the really like z-tier weirdo characters and whoever writes this show like just has a a really good job of like bringing them to relevance and so like season four i absolutely loved i powered through it in like a day and a half and then season five i also really like they introduced a new character into it um and there is like more time travel shenanigans but it's not like it's not where they're just like erasing thing there's it's not used as a deus ex machina um and i think the writers realize what they're doing because even in season four, like Flash and uh, Iris, Barry and Iris, um, are just like constantly being like, yeah, we can't mess with the timeline. <laughs> um, like it's really dangerous to mess with the timeline. So like, I think they kind of realized like what they had written themselves into a corner with just being able to like time travel, write themselves out of any problem that was happening. Um, so I appreciate that. And it's kind of made me fall back in love with the show. Um, which kind of makes me want to jump over to Legends because I had a lot of fun with Legends and it just embracing that it's just complete wonkiness. Um, and again, 
as a comic book fan, I love how many weirdo characters Legends pulls out. Um, and there's been quite a few like Flash Legends crossovers. So yeah, I'm back on Flash. I'm almost fully caught up now. Um, I'm on season six, season seven just finished, I want to say. Yeah, it's um, on right now. And then it's been renewed for an eighth season. Yeah. Um, seven goes, it, the finale just happened, but like I luckily have access to an international Netflix account. So it gets uploaded faster. So season seven goes up this week. Um, Ryan, spelling your secrets. I know. Oops. Uh, but season seven goes up this week. And then I, I even read, because now I'm back in it, you know, I read that um, no one is renewed past the next season. So everyone thinks it's the end. Um, and some like very central characters have left, uh, in the last two seasons. So like everyone's kind of thinking it's run its course. I think this will put it I mean, one past arrow, right? Did arrow run six or seven? A lot. Uh, yeah. Six. So we jumped out, um, a while back. It's crazy. It was like, God, is the flash even still on? Because, you know, you measure time by certain big life events. And, uh, Ben and I watched those shows when we still lived in our hometown and we've been in Sacramento for five years. And so I'm like, God, it's been a while. Like we haven't watched the show in five years. Wow. And yeah, it's it's nuts. Uh, yeah, I think Arrow, I don't know, six or seven. It went to eight. I just checked. It went to eight, what? but the, the last one was only 10 episodes. Uh, oh, it was so like. A bre- and it was kind of like a an abbreviated season. A pity season. Like yeah. here's your. Here's the end for you so we can tie up some stuff. Exactly. Here's I loved your chance to Arrow. Things up. Yeah. I was never – I actually would like to finish Arrow and I'll probably just read what happens. So here's what happens with these shows is that they get so – they had – Flash became a spinoff. Then they did these episodes with Flash all the time or like the crossover events like twice a year. And then they brought in Legends of Tomorrow and then they brought in Supergirl. And then all of a sudden like – all these different scenarios were happening. And what started happening with Arrow is like there'd be such like big bad moments and you'd be like, but you wouldn't – it it started taking away from the – which sounds silly, but like the reality of the show because they'd be like, oh, we have to get the Flash to help us. Like Barry needs to help us with this. Barry would help them with something. And then something way worse would happen later in the season. And I'm like – Okay, so your your world doesn't make sense because you have all these other superheroes that you would you've been calling on, but and this is when you would do that and you can't because that doesn't logistically make sense because these are different shows. So, and then you have to keep up with them and it just gets a lot and kind of takes away from like the quality of the individual shows. Yeah. Um, I get it. Like, you know, from a producing standpoint, from a network standpoint, it totally makes sense to do those crossover events and stuff. But that's when I just sort of dipped and I was like, this is too much to keep up with. But I would like, I was never a huge fan of flash. Um, and I definitely see that it'd be more up your alley because it's more of the comic book stuff. I hate yeah. time travel. Um, I mean, I, I can't, normally yeah. do, you know that. That's why I was yeah. like really happy about season four, just kind of dipping out That's of the That's good. It kind of redeemed. Well, because they – Flash was like um, – for anybody, I mean, it's in – we're talking at least seven years ago, um, th- this episode. But they do something just unforgivable – 
unforgivable with time travel. Like all these amazing things happen. It's like series finale type stuff. And then they go, nope, never mind. And I was after that, I was like, no, I'm dipping. Like I'm not going to invest an entire season into a plot that you just then erase. Like I'm not doing that. Yeah, Flashpoint was bad. And I just pretended it doesn't exist. I like being able to jump it. I like being able to jump in years removed from it and like not even remember it and be like, never happened. <laughs> I just yep, exist in this world without it. So yeah. Um, I don't need to know about that other scenario. I agree with you, though, with the whole, like, dipping in and out. It makes a little more sense. This is, like, I will say it makes a little more sense as Flash because, like, they don't have to rely on Arrow as much because Arrow doesn't have superpowers. So, like, it doesn't happen as often. But I will say, once they introduced, because I did watch an episode, then they brought in Supergirl and Superman. And I was like, why would you not just bring in, like, if you need someone big and bad? But, like, usually what the flash like one thing i do appreciate is like usually the at least the big bad is someone that like you know because it has to be someone that obviously is more challenging than being like they have to has to be more than just like flash can beat them with their super speed so there's usually like i mean for the first couple seasons it's like faster speedsters but then they start introducing these people that kind of like can outthink this the flash and so i appreciate that too because it kind of explains like that's why you didn't bring in Superman, Supergirl. Like you don't need a powerhouse. Like you need someone who can outthink them. And so. Right. It's yeah. specific to the Flash's abilities. Like it has mm-hmm. to be him to beat them, which makes right. sense for sure. Yeah. And so, that's really the only way you can justify that. Cause exactly. It's fucking Superman. Like, like it, he's going to be able to solve your problem. Uh, I did love though. Cause it, um, you know, I never, I, I watched a couple episodes of Supergirl, um, but it would just, uh, and I might watch it because I, I, it seems up my alley. But I, um, obviously, being a Teen Wolf fan, absolutely love um, what's his yeah, name, Tyler, Tyler Hecklin, and yeah. he plays Superman. So it was my first time getting to see him as Superman, and he's just really good in that role. Um, so well, that was and really cool to see. Has his own show now, right? Yeah, Superman and Lois is um, yeah. season season two, I think, already on. Um, yeah, because Supergirl's gone. Yeah, Supergirl's over. It's so funny that it's called Arrowverse still because it's not like Arrow is over. I mean, Arrow um, created it though. Yeah, but still set in the Arrowverse. I think the only shows now, because they canceled Black Lightning as well. Um, so so it's the, Batgirl. Uh, it's yeah, Batwoman. Batwoman, Superman, and Lois, and Legends. Um, oh, and Flash. But everyone thinks this is the last season of the Flash. So, mm. but yeah, interesting. Well, speaking of the CW, I just finished season two of Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, wow. I um, forgot that show existed. It's, yeah. Well, season three just finished and it's been renewed for a fourth season. So feel free to jump in. It's currently on. And I just, I don't know what to, I think I'd started the first couple episodes a while back and I just had forgotten about it. And like I said, I've been powering through a lot of TV shows right now, and it's it's really good. And well, you love I, the original, right? I loved the original. This is better. Um, it it does such a good job at being a good mix of you know they're not teenagers, which is nice, like young adult. Um, drama with like family ties with sci-fi with um it's it's just kind of a little bit of everything and 
the character development's really great. And we talked about it last week. So it's funny. I We were talking about how it was so nice to have a lesbian couple be the stars of the movie and how refreshing that was. And I was saying like, yeah, it's starting to feel more normal to see this representation. Like it doesn't really even phase me anymore because I just see it everywhere. And this show such a great example of that because there's um, a Pretty Little Liars, Tyler Blackburn. Mm. Um, who, what's his name? Caleb? Caleb. Yeah. Um, so he plays um, like a gay soldier and there's this – that's like a massive plot line about how, um, you know, he has a very strict military father and how that plays into it. And then – He's in an on-again, off-again relationship with um, one of the alien characters. And in this season, I won't say who's involved in case any of you guys want to watch it, but I was like, holy shit, the times have changed. There was a threesome with two guys. And I was like, hell yeah. I don't think – I'm trying to think about all the shows that we watched – when we were in high school or like even as young adults, all of them, I can't even think of any gay characters, let alone any type of scene like that whatsoever, Um, especially with the main character. Uh, So I loved it and it's great. So there's your little added bonus to watch Roswell, New Mexico. There we go. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I really like it. And, uh, I always get worried when I get invested in a show. I have to like look. I'm like, wait, is it still on? Like before I start on Netflix, I'm like, I better see if this show's canceled. Like, is it going to be worth my time to watch this? Did you um, see they're rebooting the 4400? I was just looking at CW programming and they're rebooting that show, which I for of I course for, they are. I forgot about. I, that yeah, show, I never but. watched that. Um, I also just finished today, like a couple hours ago, uh, Megan Miranda's The Perfect Stranger. Um, so she's a very like sort of big mystery writer right now. Um, this is, I think, her third or fourth book that I've read. And this one is about a girl who – a girl, a woman who – runs into her old college roommate at a bar in a time in her life where she basically has just burned her life into the ground and needs to leave town. And her, you know, old friend throws a dart on a map and says, hey, let's move here. And she says, okay, because she doesn't feel like she really has any other options. And she moves to this town, and then her roommate goes missing. And so it's sort of this whole – then the whole book plays into figuring out what happened in our main character's past to make her need to just get away. So that sort of mystery slowly unravels. Um, She used to be like a crime journalist, and so we know that it's – uh, involved with her like accusing somebody of a crime and not naming a witness. Uh, and so we've got that secret that's unraveling plus her investigating 
what's happening to her roommate and then a dead body pops up. And so it's all these little mysteries that you're trying to solve and then they kind of all come together at the end. Um, It was good. Um, It wasn't my favorite of hers. Um, I do really like her novels. So if you like mysteries, she doesn't write a bad one. Um, But I've loved a lot of her other books and this one I liked. Um, But still definitely worth reading for sure. What other ones did she do? So she did All the Missing Girls, which I loved, um, which is about um, a girl who moves back to her hometown and there's a girl went missing when she was in high school there and then when she comes back, another girl goes missing. Um, And so it's sort of about her trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and then what is the the one I – so I also just read The Girl from Widow Hills. I read that one a couple weeks ago. Um, and that one is about a girl who was in a – she goes missing as a little kid from sleepwalking. And she's found in like a storm drain three days later. And so it's about – her dealing with the trauma from that event from the past and somebody from that time in her life uh, shows up and shows up dead like in her backyard and she has like bouts of sleepwalking. So she's trying to figure out if she did it, if somebody else is doing it and framing her, um, who's involved. So it's sort of like a untrustworthy narrator thing where you're not sure because she isn't sure like the character isn't hiding it from you but she literally doesn't know what she's done because she has these bouts of sleepwalking Um, you love untrustworthy narrators I do I love that trend and that trend's dying down I don't see too much of it anymore which is I mean makes sense Gone Girl came out what 10 years ago and that's sort of what God so long um, ago yeah yeah, sort of made that trend go. But the her book of mine that's my favorite, and I think now I've read all of her books, um, was The Last House Guest. And I absolutely loved that one. I highly recommend it, especially for a summer read. Um, it's uh, about a woman who was working on a uh, like a tourist town. She's working at a hotel, and she grew up there. And it's, yeah, it's in Littleport, Maine. And so it's like a little idyllic vacation town and she had a falling out with like the rich girl in town when she was younger Um, and she winds up dead. You can see a theme with this this novelist's uh, books. There's always a death and we got to figure out what happened. Um, But this one I absolutely loved and was super twisty and turny and – uh, I loved all the characters and definitely felt like a, a, a great summer read for sure. Yeah. I still got to read that still one. You, you told me about, about like, not the witches one, but the other one, Carnival. It was like a slasher Carnival one. Fuck. I can't remember. I'll go back and oh, listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember I like marked it and then I was, I never got around to it because I got stuck on this YA series that I ended up really liking um let's see i got distracted where are we oh yes okay 
Um, so if you guys didn't, okay. First of all, if you guys didn't turn in the last episode, you need to go tune into that because um, we are covering part two of a series um, and it's heavy spoilers. Um, so if you didn't get a chance to tune in, either go listen to the episode or at least go watch the first movie, which is on Netflix. Um, but we are covering today Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Uh, yes. So our synopsis is Shadyside, 1978. School's out for summer and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another Shadysider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. I've loved that description. Yeah, isn't that good? It's because that, that reads one. like the back of, you know, a Fear Street or Goosebumps book. Like that's exactly what you would read on the back of one of those books. It's true. I didn't get it from IMDb because I had the IMDb one and that one wasn't as good. Um, it was like a sentence. Was. So I don't know where I found this one. Some some mythical place on the internet. Maybe it was Netflix's um, actual synopsis. It might have been, Yeah. Um, it came out July 9th, 2021. Um, and as we mentioned um, in the last episode, these films, well, the first film at least was, was scheduled to be released theatrically June of 2020. It was pulled because of COVID and then distribution rights were happening. The studio was originally with got bought out and Netflix uh, acquired the rights in August of 2020 for the entire trilogy. So here we are. So you will notice these movies very much feel like theatrical releases, and that is why. Mm -hmm. um, and we mentioned yeah. the last episode as well, because they're streaming, we don't have a clear budget on them and no box office. Um, so, uh, but like B said, you can tell it's definitely a good amount of money when it is because they yes. look real clean. Mm -hmm. The effects are just chef's kiss. Yeah, they're um, great. They are and, the light, and the licensing on these songs had to cost Holy moly. so much money. <laughs> no. Well, I think I was reading, God, I should have saved it. So there was there's some kind of deal that movies can make where they either they're like paying for the licensing for each songs or they basically use them as a means to release the songs as a soundtrack and then i think they get the songs cheaper because they're releasing a cd or what or a vinyl in their case a vinyl or you know a digital album Interesting. Or something to stream, whatever. So I think there's some, and like, if so, this was floating around on Twitter, send it to us if you can find it. There's, I don't think, I cannot remember who posted about it because somebody looked into it because they're like, oh, there's way too many needle drops in this. How the fuck did they pay for all these songs? And then I know there's some kind of thing where if you put it out as a, a soundtrack for people to purchase, they're then going to make more money on those songs. So it's like an incentive and then they can get those songs cheaper in the movie. That makes, you know, Pretty even sure. just knowing that yeah. that would make a lot of sense for like a lot, a lot of those definitive soundtrack movies that we grew up with, because like you think about how much licensing movies actually costs. Um, yeah. And like that makes a lot of those movies that were kind of like definitive for our time that weren't super huge budget movies kind of makes more sense if you think about it. Cause soundtracks sold like, crazy when we were younger like people mm -hmm. 
people bought, you know, we, well, I mean, we talked about it last episode, but like you, there's like definitive, you know, Garden Street, Garden State was mm-hmm. like a definitive soundtrack for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember watching movies and be like, oh, I want the soundtrack to this. I feel like we've seen a little bit of resurgence because I I've bought the the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtracks for both of them, and then also Into the Spider Verse I bought um, because of just well, like, yeah, and that's a thing with I mean. Not that Disney is hurting for money at all. Oh, right, but, exactly. I mean, Guardians is a prime example of a, like, that is the definition of a needle drop movie. Just any point in the film. And it's great. It's wonderful. I love it. That's a style choice, and I like it, and it works really well. And, uh, yeah, the soundtrack's awesome. I've definitely mm-hmm. listened to that. I own a shit t- like, The Fault in random movies too, The Fault in Our Stars. I own that soundtrack. That's a great soundtrack. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a similar deal was struck for that. I mean, that was like a little indie, like cichlet adapted movie. I care for this soundtrack a lot more than I cared for the movie. Like there's a lot of stuff like that where you, the Twilight soundtracks, massive. Oh yeah, those were Absolutely huge. massive. Do you know Deco um, just went back up on Spotify? It wasn't on there for like years. Dude, and that Robert Pattinson song, from on the soundtrack to the first one, you can't find it on anything. I I would go to YouTube Wait, his to piano listen song? to it. Yeah, and the one where he sings. He sings. What? Yeah. Don't remember that. Oh my! Not in the movie. No, I know on ha- the soundtrack, but like I don't. Yeah, remember but that. on the soundtrack, yeah. Well, now I need oh to my god. To that. <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you. It's. Yeah, it's really good. It's really like low. It was perfect for that time. The One Tree Hill soundtracks, like literally, there's, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes for reference. Part one has 83%. Uh, the critics' consensus is a smart and subver- subversive twist on slasher horror. Fear Street Part 2, 1978, shows that summer camp has never been scarier thanks to stellar performances. From Sadie Sink, Emily Rudd, and Ryan Simpkins. Hard agree. Um, I think the performances in this one just were absolutely stellar, especially from those three. Um, The sisters in this movie, Sadie Sink, played by Sadie Sink and Emily Rudd. I mean, I was just in love with them. And I wanted like three more movies with those two characters and their relationship. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think it's, um, especially because I like the performances in the first one so much, it's like hard to live up to that. And then they did. And so I was just like really impressed uh, with with all of that. Um, but well, yeah, in particular, just, just say, the very I... real like sibling relationship there. Because whether it's, I mean, brothers and sisters are obviously different, but like siblings are siblings and like, I can relate to that. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. And I feel like I was definitely in the minority from feeling everybody was super connected to the cast in the first one. And I felt that way about this one uh, way more so. Um, and so I just instantly like just dove into all of these relationships and felt very connected to them. Uh, and they've stuck with me in the two weeks it's been since I've watched it too. So um, that that is like if I were to write a, you know, physical review, that's probably all I'd write about is like I just some, love these characters and 
wish there was more of them. Um, Ian Frere gave the film a score three out of five, says it might not work as well as part one, but it cements the idea that telling a narrative in feature link installments can be a fruitful mode for ambitious long form storytelling. Yes. We talked about this last episode. I a hundred percent agree. I am so down to see more movies in like a long form storytelling mode that aren't just a movie that's three and a half hours long. I hope that they take the success of this and like really run with it. Um, because especially the way they did it, just releasing them back to back like that and not having to wait years in between. And then just being able to dive into that story was just so perfect. Um, and I agree with you. Like, and I know you like, there's going to be the haters out there, but listen, I'm a comic book fan. So of course I have to bring it up. Like, I feel like Marvel did this a little bit obviously and much more extended and i don't think they ever even knew the extent that it would get to but by the end of their you know by the end of the infinity saga which it is called like marvel presented long-form storytelling in a really in a way that will never be done again um even though they're i mean they're trying to do it themselves and you know i kudos to them for trying once again to replicate their own success but like uh, whether it's, you know, 22 movies or three movies. <laughs> um, I really love this idea of, yeah, like a narrative in feature length installments. Like, I think that it is something, I don't know. I love, you know, like it, it even goes back to the old Star Wars because like George Lucas originally envisioned, you know, the original trilogy as a trilogy. Like this idea of being able to tell the story and like, not just it's you're not just setting a movie up for the possibility of a sequel you're like writing the story to be told this way and so i don't know i agree with you b like i think it's just a wonderful way to explore things and like we don't always need a mini series and we don't always need like a three-hour movie there's other ways to explore that option yeah and exploring it in this way yeah just like the what did you call it the, the infinity, infinity saga. the infinity saga i don't like that um, I didn't. I didn't name it. <laughs> well, I need you to contact whoever did. I have a complaint to file. Right. Um, but yeah, where you know, like these movies obviously are meant to stand on their own, but then when it comes down to it, there's an element to it that's adding to the bigger picture. And so with these, we have these three movies where it's it's much more that than it is with the Marvel movies, but. It's you start off in part one building this. I it's really just an idea. You don't have much development on the grander scheme, and by the end you have a little bit more. And then you jump into this one, and then within its own movie, you're given so much information, and that's what's so great about it. That's yeah, and it knocks out of the park in this one too, where. It very much is its own summer camp slasher. And we just happened to be filling in some information that was introduced to us in the first one. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else has things to say about this movie? Uh, Love Ya Garky of The Hollywood Reporter described the film as being its own exhilarating adventure uh, that showcases a dynamic cast of characters and revels in lots and lots of bloody murder. 
She concluded, for me, the best parts of Fear Street Part 2 are the ones in which the teen drama takes center stage. From the illicit romantic pairings to the crazy feuds and pranks, genre purists will be relieved that none of that comes at the expense of grisly murder scenes. Janiac spares no one, and there's no shortage of inventive deaths. Couldn't agree more. I think that's almost a perfect, like, capsule review of of this uh of this movie um because yeah it like i it i think it harkens back to the things about like summer camp slashers that all of us fans love it's like those are the parts we love it's like getting to know the characters and the antics and like the all the things that make it that much more thrilling when the kills start to happen because you care about the characters but then you also care about you know the gore and the inventive kills um you know, that's and I don't a, that's, think that's what a good slasher is. That's yeah. exactly what she laid out is being invested in the drama of the core characters where that could be its own movie and you would be happy. But then you also have this element of scary, inventive, good kills. It's like those two elements that come together to make the perfect slasher film. We talk about that all the time, especially in teen screams, where, you know, it's just getting that balance right where, you know, it, it's not like fall break where you're just like, or what a mutilator where you're confused <laughs> by the moments of the kids. Oh, you're break. like, why wow, this feels like a sitcom. Um, and then you get back to like where they feel like two separate movies. It's like, okay, like we see what you're doing. And, and uh, even the original prom night does that a little bit where it kind of takes you out, but then you're super invested in, Jamie Lee Curtis and her and her as a, a person. And then you get to other ones where you're so into all the characters, you're just devastated when something happens to them. And yeah, they do that in this one. And it's funny too, because it keeps reminding me of the final girls. It felt a lot like that, which makes sense because the final girls is a homage to summer camp slashers um it's much more of a comedic take and but that focus on that mother-daughter relationship which because they well i guess they're not some they feel similar ages Melan ackerman does not seem like she could be no um, what's her name tasa I, I don't know how to say uh, her first uh, name uh, Tasa Farmiga, yeah. Yeah. Um, they seem much more like they could be sisters. Uh, but that family, super interesting family bond relationship remind me a lot of this one too. So, yeah, it's um, great. I also want to call it, because I, I don't think it gets enough love, um, but you and I covered it and really enjoyed most of it. It feels a lot like American Horror Story 84, um, like 1984, like the best parts yeah. of that show. Like when that show was doing its best of like the 80s aping. The like, only people who didn't like that were people who don't like slashers. Yeah. Like I just feel like what? it never like – I feel like maybe it's because we're not far enough removed from it. Um, and, you know, COVID happened not very long after it, right? So it's like who knows. Um, like, But like – I, I feel like that series or that season didn't get a lot of love, but I mean, I loved it. And there were parts yeah. like there were definitely parts of this that like remind me a lot of just like the Same. best parts of that too. No, for sure. 
Um, and, and then Kevin uh, Mayer of the Times gave it three out of five stars and wrote, as with the first outing, the director Lee Janiak proves herself an impeccable stylist, delivering muted 1970s tones, judicious, judiciously judged scares, and ceaseless tap-along tunes. Um, which I agree with, but I would give it more stars. <laughs> like, yes. uh, yeah, I would give it, you know, four probably out of five. And, you, you might give it five out of five. Yeah, I do a four star rating. Oh, I can't yeah. do five. That's too many stars. I don't know four what a three sense. out of. I don't know what a three out of five. No, four is perfect. I hated it. I didn't like it. I liked, I liked it. it. I, liked I loved it. it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a five. For me, this it's like four. I hated I loved it. it. It's neutral. I liked it. I loved it. It's perfect. That's where perfect. I'm perfect. Yeah. Mm. There's some. Yeah. I Jaws. That's a five-star movie. Scream, five-star movie. Well, yeah, I agree, but there's a lot of movies I love that I don't think are perfect. I know. That's why I differ- That's why I have five stars, because I can differentiate between I loved it and it's perfect. Because like, I so, love John Wick. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, so your four stars is an I love it, not an I like it. Yes. Yeah, my four stars is I, an I love yeah. it, and then five is a perfect. Gotcha. All right, I feel that I'm much more gen- generous with my full stars. If I love yeah. it, I love I it. Both, you get all my stars. I think stars. both make sense. Yeah, both make sense for for who we are. <laughs> you know, I'm way more opinionated than you are about certain things, and that movies is definitely one of them. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, B broke this Let's poster talk- down in the last episode, but she's going to go over it again. Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, a little quicker if you want to hear me go into a little bit deeper the posters in general listen to our last episode um i won't bore you guys who listen to it with all those details again but um this poster series for these movies um like the films themselves are a trilogy in the art world that's called a triptych um so this is the middle of those three um and that's why you see some elements on the key art are cut off so in this one, we see uh, the acts of our killer in this film, but you don't actually see him. Um, and then you see one of the killers that's not actually in this movie, um, very small down in the right-hand corner. So we have um, Siggy, our star right here in the middle. Um, everything's in those sort of muted, warm 70s tones. We've got... Uh, you know, fire and kind of this smoke texture. Uh, She's, you know, scared very, it fits the look of the 70s great. Uh, We've got this border element that's made out of wood. And you'll see that in each poster, they all are set up the same way. They're just stylized to fit the the film and the era they belong to. So in the last one, when I broke it down, you know, it's neon, um, very much has that nineties VHS, uh, throwback look where this one's taking that same setup. You have your final goal straight in the middle. You've got this border element. Uh, you've got your killers laid out at the bottom in a variety of ways. This one all does the same thing. It's just, trying to fit that 70s vibe and I think it does that very well. Um the artist on these um 
is uh, Chris. He goes by Chris Tootaloo on his Instagram. Um, he works with Oog Creative, and he did all of the key art for this film. I actually think this one is my favorite standalone one. Mine is as well. The only downside to it, and I mean, I can't judge it because it's meant to be seen. It's hard to judge it because it's meant to see be seen as a series, but I don't love that our killer from this film is not in it. We just see his axe. Yeah. So this is the Nightwing killer, and he's more prominent on the 1994 poster yeah. instead of this one. And so that's my gripe with it. And the way he's cut off isn't ideal. You can see like part of his mask and um, you do get the axe. I wish it was maybe like just the axe or more of him. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't love that, but you know, that's the downside when you're, you're doing things as a series. So for in contrast on the right hand side, you see these flames um, and they kind of blend in really nicely to the poster. Well, that one of our killers who's showcased on the third poster is holding that flame. So that's a much better example of how the two posters meld together and it's not distracting. Um, so we have the flames, but we don't see the killer um, where this one doesn't quite work as well. So this can happen. It's not perfect, but I, I, I really love the concept. Yeah. Um, and then as we, again, we discussed in the last one, there's a tagline for each one. They all fit together. This one's find the truth. Um, so it's the middle. Um, it's bookended by face the evil from the first one and then end the curse for the last one. Um, and then also three movies, three weeks, one killer story, kind of an over um, overarching tagline on all three of them. Uh, and then it did obviously have a sequel, which is the conclusion of the trilogy, which is Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Um, our crew is very similar to the last movie. A lot of it carried over. So um, Lee Janiak is our director. She directed all three. Um, she did Honeymoon, a couple episodes of Scream the TV show. Our writers are R.L. Stein, that the story is based on, um, who made all, wrote all the Fear Street books. Uh, obviously, very, very famous author of uh, Fear Street, but also Goosebumps. And then we have Phil uh, Graziadeh, uh, Lee Janiak, and um, a new writer on this one who is Zach Olkowitz, um, who was also did the screenplay, and he produced the um, 2016's Lights Out, um, and then he's an, a writer for an upcoming Brad Pitt movie called Bullet Train, um, and Lights Out, if you guys haven't seen it, was another genre flick. Um, that one's much, like much one more supernatural. Yes. I liked uh, a lot of that movie. I did not care for the end very much. I liked that film. I've seen it a few times randomly. I think it's been on TV a few times. I definitely watched it like two or three times, yeah. Yeah. Funny how that happens with just random movies. I feel like that's a random movie to watch like multiple times. Yeah. I d it probably ends up on just like how when we were growing up like HBO movies and now that we're old enough and actually have HBO, it's probably like, hey, lights out on HBO. I'll watch that again. Yeah, it's, it's an easy one to watch for sure. Yeah. Um, our score, um, same. It's being led by Mark, Marco Beltrami, who 
I missed in the last one, but it did the Scream series. Um, I Robot, World War Z, Blade Two, millions of things. Um, in this one, he brought on Brandon Robert. So I believe he's worked with before because um, he worked on Scream 4. Does a lot of genre stuff. He's worked in the music department for a lot of things. Um, a variety of composing and different music department credits. So he's worked on A Quiet Place 1 and 2, Warm Bodies, The Woman in Black, The Thing Remake, Little Evil, The New Twilight Zone. So lots of genre stuff. Um, and in this one, if the, if you listen to the score, um, there's a lot of tributes made in this one. So you can hear like tributes to the scores of the Omen, um, Alien, um, and also there's like a little tease of Friday the 13th, um, when Ziggy's laying down, um, which, of course, was done by Harry Manfredini. So it's always fun um, that they are paying tribute to these eras in multiple ways. Yeah. It's so so cool to see, like, little nods that you have to pay attention to every part of the movie. Um, Like, I love when they do so. Again, it just shows that these are people who love love the genre and, like, love, love horror and just, like, also want to pay homage to these people that led them to where they are. So it's, it's great. Um, our cinematographer and our editor are the same from the last movie. So Caleb Heyman is our cinematographer who is doing the season four of Stranger Things and also did the Mortuary Collection, which you can catch on Shutter. I highly suggest because it's a blast. Um, and then Rachel Goodlet Katz is our editor. Um, as we discussed last episode, she also was on the editorial department of Garden State, which B and I both love. Um, and then she's done a bunch of TV, Walking Dead, Carrie Diaries, Gossip Girl. Um, yeah, so uh, it was also great to just see so many women attached to this project. So uh, on all all fronts. Yes, no, it is nice to see. Um, <laughs> So uh, our cast is different this time. So there's a couple of people return, um, but for the most part, we have a brand new cast. So we have Sadie Sink as Ziggy Berman. Um, that is a girl. She's known from Stranger Things. Um, we see uh, Jillian Jacobs. Uh, she's T. We're introduced to her in the first movie as C. Berman um, because we're not sure. They don't want you to know who survives, if it's Ziggy or if it's her sister because they both have the same initial. So you don't know going in which one it is. We just know one of them dies and you just kind of have to wait to figure out who it is. Uh, but she is in fact Ziggy. Um, and we see her from community and from love, which both shows Ryan and I both love. Um, Emily Rudd, who I looked up is not related to Paul Rudd. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Cindy Berman. Um, from the Romanoffs in 2018, and then she's also in the new Dynasty show. Um, speaking of the CW, again, always popping up CW, in our lives. Yeah. Some always. things never change. Um, Ryan Simpkins plays Alice. 
Um, McCabe Sly as Tommy. Um, he's in 2018's Destroyer and the Miseducation of Cameron Post also that year. Um, Ted Sutherland plays young Nick Good. Uh, 2018's Rise was uh, 2017's The Deuce was in Law and Order SVU for a few years. 2016, yeah, 2019. Uh, I haven't watched SVU since high school, but that used to be my jam back in the day. No, thank you. I can't watch that shit. That's too close to home for now. Now, well, not too close to home. It's too. That shit happens too much in real life. I ain't about that. Like, yes. I don't need to be exposed to that kind of trauma. <laughs> I've got kids. I can't do it anymore. Uh, and then he also also in The Walking Dead World Beyond, which is a new TV show that I did not know existed. Me either until I saw it on sale at Target. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. So you learn something new every day. Um, Ashley Zuckerman uh, plays... Sheriff Nick Good as an adult, which we met in part one. Um, Jordana Spiro as Nurse Mary Lane. And then again, we have we have our trio returning that we see. So Kiana Madeira as Dina, Benjamin Flores Jr. as Josh, and Olivia Scott Welch as Sam. So that was our surviving trio from the first movie. Um Sheila is played by uh, Chiara Ariella um, from Cruel Summer, which Fucking I Jeanette, talked about. Man. Yeah, man, Jeanette. That's uh, the worst. So, if you guys haven't watched that, that show is on Hulu. It was a free form. It's great. It, was, it is really good. Speaking of like mysteries, mm. um, I think you know for the most part, I think genre fans will like it. Um, if you listen yep. to this podcast and put up with our <laughs> freaking CW Concert, talk, yeah. you can watch Cruel Summer. I think you'll like it. I, my mom was here helping me with um, my daughter, and I was watching this show. It was my nursing show, and I try and save them for the middle of the night so that I'm, like, motivated to get out of bed. But I got so hooked that I started watching it during the day too. I'm like, I just got to know what happens. And my poor mom comes in like, I think it's 10 episodes. She comes in like seven episodes in. Oh, no. And and she's like watching it and getting kind of sucked in. But she couldn't – it was an episode all about – what's her name? Kate? Is that the other girl? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like three timelines, and it's not super easy to determine which timeline they're in. When at first you have to get, you have to you get into the it. haircuts and the co- and the color that they use over like the overlay. Yeah, yeah, which is only good for the modern. The overlay for the moderns like really over dramatic in like gray. Yeah, but dark, the f- dark blue gray. Yeah. yeah, it's really like super noticeable the other two timelines aren't as easy to discern it's mainly just haircuts that you can tell and so she kept being like she's like wait which one's the other girl i'm like no 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 that that, this is all one girl mom and she's like i don't know what's happening so she went home and benched it and watched all of it i'll give that show this is why i give that show credit because you know uh, anyone who listens knows that B and I watch like grew up on a lot of TV. Like she watches more TV than I do now. But once you watch enough TV, you learn the beats, right? And so like you start to learn. Like you can usually call 
you know, like our friends don't like watching TV with me, B, or Ben, really, because all three of us can usually like episode two, we're like, that guy did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but I don't say it out loud, unlike you and Ben, who like instantly. That's true. Say, yeah. Um, that's ben very true. Called out that. I mean, Ben which, is the is always he is the, the worst. Number one. He called yeah. out that, which it was fine because I also saw it coming. It's not. It's not a super complex show plot line, but he called the how Cobra Kai season three was going to end. Like as soon as we started, I don't even think we started season three yet. It was like end of season two. He's like, okay, so this is what's going to happen. And then we get to the end of season three finale. He's like, didn't I tell you? That's what was, I was like, yeah, I also saw it coming. I just didn't have to say it out loud. Yeah. You learn the beats, but like what I'll give this show credit for is it kept me on my toes because I would fully be bought in on like, oh, it's like, oh, Jeanette did this. And then the next episode, because it switches perspectives, I'd be like, but maybe not. <laughs> like, um, so I give it a lot of credit I, because it yeah. did, I still was able to call. I called the ending um, before the show ended, obviously. Um, and obviously, uh, but like it took longer than it took much longer than anticipated. And I also wasn't as sure as I normally am going into the end of a show. Um, I think that's honestly when I, when I look back on it, that's why I always loved Veronica Mars so much because that show, the first time I watched it through, I was like, I never, I never saw it coming except the first, I think the first half of season three, I guessed who the college like serial rapist was. Um, but other than that, that show also always kept me on my toes. Good job, Mariah. You can spot a rapist. Proud of you. Uh, yes, I also kept happening to me because it does switch perspectives in that show. Um, every other episode – at one point, that's basically what it is. You spend one episode with one girl and then you spend one episode with the other girl. And yeah, it'd be the same thing. I'd be super convinced of something. And then you'd see it from the other perspective. I'd be like, oh, well, okay, maybe not. Not too sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I had my suspicions. I was kind of right about the ending. Um, but it, how, it was different I, than I was expecting. Yeah. like I was like, main, right, but I wasn't. Yes, that's exactly how I was. I was like, oh, like I was right about this part, but not exactly about how it happened so. yeah exactly so yeah so again cruel summer watch that yeah, check it out hulu slash freeform if you have you know cable which not, nobody has cable um and let's see we have like a brief little throwback for uh one of our killers for ruby lane uh who was played by jordan d natal and then we sort of round out our cast. Uh, Gary is played by Drew Shield. Arnie's played by Sam Brooks. These are sort of like our body fodder. Uh, Joan is played by Jackie Vinay. Kurt's played by Michael, Michael, Michael Michael Provost. <laughs> I don't know. What is that? Michael. Michael. I don't know. What kind of accent is Something that? Something Southern. Maybe. I don't know. That's like Texas-ish? Sure. There's South my Texas, Texas accent, you guys. Um, I know nothing about the South. Uh, Brandon Spink as young Will Good, um, who also plays young Bruce Wayne in Batman v vs Superman. Which oh, what a no, thank you. That is. <laughs> and Mother's Day. Uh, oh, that movie with Josh Brolin and Kate Winslet. 
What? No, that like ensemble movie with Julia Roberts with a really, really weird haircut. Oh, I'm thinking of Labor Day. <laughs> I holiday movies mixed up. No. Mother's Day, I've never seen a weirder haircut than look it up right now well, no, than Julia to, Roberts yeah. in that movie. It's the strangest thing in the world. Like it's distracting. The entire I've seen that movie once and that's all I could focus oh, on was her hair. That's an unfortunate haircut. Isn't that weird? Why did Isn't they that use such that a strange her? choice? Like actual full almost bowl cut, but like Yeah. Not yeah. It's like a bowl weird. Bob. Oh, is that Jason Sudeikis though? Yeah, it's a good cast. You oh, know, it's one yeah. of those Valentine's Day, Mother's Day. Yeah, um, I see. But just why? Yeah, right. why is exactly right. Um, yeah, so that is our cast. You know, it's typical that we see these massive casts in these, um, especially the summer camp ones. You got a lot of campers. Um, you got a lot of a lot of people to fill, and we have a high kill count here. So there's a lot of there's a lot of bodies uh, in there. Um, this is again a teen scream, and it is a supernatural slasher. Our killer, um, and we'll preface this again. We are doing all three parts as we analyze this. We're analyzing it from what we know to this point. So, although Ryan and I, and probably all of you listening, know what's happened and other things that get relayed in part three. We are going by what we know in this movie. So what we know in this movie is that Tommy is possessed. Mm -hmm. We see his name on the wall. It's the curse of Sarah Fear possessing him to kill Shady Siders. Um, Yeah. And that's our killer. So he is our, what is Night, Nightingale? Not Nightingale. Night, Nightwing. Nightwing, yeah. I remember it because that's why I keep forgetting it because it sounds like a superhero. Does not sound like a camp. Oh, okay. Nightwing is who Robin becomes. The first Robin becomes Nightwing after. Okay. Yeah, when he leads the the Titans. So what's that um, video game um, with all the DC characters who fight? Oh, Injustice. Yeah, Nightwing is a character on that. Yeah. Yes, he is. Okay, yep. that's why I yeah. know it. I yeah. weirdly played that game a lot. Yeah, it kept distracting me too because I'm so used to Nightwing being like the character. And so I was like, I, I also <laughs> in my head kept being like, no, it's not Nightwing, right? And I'm no, like, I oh, think it that's is, why it I won't Nightwing. stick in my head because I'm like, nah, it's not it. It's something yeah. else. So any, he is the Nightwing killer. Yeah, yeah. Nightwing killer. He's Burlap yeah. killer. Yeah. Um, He's part two Jason. Right, exactly. Uh, And we don't even get that until like the last 15 minutes of the movie, really. Um, Our iconic weapon. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Our iconic weapon here is the axe, which is definitely like the axe in this movie. Whereas in the first one, we see a bunch of different killers with a bunch of different things. Like Tommy is our main killer throughout this entire movie, although we do get like some, a little glimpse of um, two two of the other killers. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. One uses a baseball bat, and then um, what's her name? Ruby Lane Ruby. has like a straight razor. Yeah, um, Tommy is using an axe very efficiently throughout this movie. Yeah, I know. So it's weird too because all of 
oh, this is going to make me sound like a sociopath. All cool. of our <laughs> movies that, you know, are like this are so old. And Ryan and I always talk about how we're like, were these people hot in the 80s? Like, were they, like, attractive? And, like, Tommy's a – he's a good-looking guy. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's cute. And then you see him, like, killing these people. And I'm like, he's got, like, blood all over him. And I'm like, it's like, looks kind of attractive. Like, he's, like, really sweaty. And I'm like, God, B, like, what is wrong with you? But, yeah, like, knows how to swing that axe pretty well. Wow. Yeah, you're right. That made you sound like a sociopath. You're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, <laughs> okay. just an observation. Yeah, good to know. Um, I did not find him more attractive by murdering children, but I guess no, B was it like – It wasn't a- the murdering. <laughs> it was like the sweat. It, it was, was like – Right. It was how you know the murder me. affected I love his me body. like a – a hard-working man. Yeah, yeah I love a, I love me a dirty dude and just... He's definitely in that camp of, like, the dirtier the guy, the hotter. Um, and yeah. not, like, dirty in the sense of, like, gross. Like, gross, no. Like, just, like, you can tell... dirtier. He... Like, like yeah, think, that... you know, Viggo Mortensen in Lord of the Rings. Like, that... the oh, more God. he goes through in that movie, like, the more battles he goes through, like, B definitely That's finds right. him more and more attractive. Like, sweaty, drenched, you know, dirt and mud and all of that. That's yeah. That's it's in my biology to recognize that that there's a man who could, you know, protect me. Yeah, he could, you no, know, kill a kill a bear for me or something. I don't know. I'd probably sure. need that back in the day. That's true. You're yeah. not. I mean, or sure. even now, somebody could I mean, kill a bear for me. Don't live. kill yeah. a bear for me. Yeah, I like no, bears. Don't do that. Um, our final girl is Ziggy. Um, which sorry, spoilers, we told you, but like as much as yeah, it hints that it could be either of them, it is uh Ziggy, that's as we said, um, um, Sadie Sink from Stranger Things, uh, who would grow up to become uh Jillian Jacobs, but yes, Sadie is our or Ziggy is our final girl. Um, man, I really thought it might have been both of them though, or like again, this movie with like just like in the last one, there were a couple kills that I like genuinely surprised me, and I was like damn like they got me there like uh, they they held they held me until the very end yeah this one was brutal i i mean oh, you know one of one them's going to die yeah you know one of the the sisters is going to die and like i i thought ziggy was going to be the one to survive just because of the um, my familiarity with the tropes and it just seemed like we were seeing her like growth as a character more than right. we were her sister her sisters was more like i mean you see a lot of character development with her where she's realizing that you know trying to be perfect right they do not like given her movie. any advantage yeah they did a good job of just like in the first one of like giving both characters like a development and like whereas yeah like I, I mean, you, you see development in both of them, but it definitely fits more of the final girl archetype, I think, with Ziggy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's she does great. You know, we start off with her being sort of this little punk girl, and her, you know, sister plays much more that role that we are expecting with a final girl where, you know, super good and doesn't want to get in trouble has a loving, doting boyfriend, and she fits that, like, 
archetype of a finer girl. And then her sister over here, Ziggy, is like getting into trouble and doesn't fit in and very much plays similar to Dina in part one where she's accepted that shady siders are fucked and she's just going to live her life and you know know that good things probably aren't going to come her way and as we move on she and get through you know she kind of learns that she can't be a shit person just because shit things happen to her so you know she pulls a prank on Sheila and then she realizes like oh my god as much as I hate this girl I'm not gonna put her in a situation where she could potentially get killed and you know goes to rescue her so we see her you know and then with her sister like taking these situations where she goes no I need to you know, protect my sister. I need to find her. I need to look for her. Like that's, that's growth. And, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, by the end of this, she's and you know, she's, she opens up. We see her, you know, form a relationship where she's going like, oh, okay. Like maybe I can like not be super closed off and maybe I can. And this is with Nick. Um, you know, maybe this guy's different. Maybe I don't have to be alone just because I'm from Shadyside. And, you know, it's it's sweet and heartbreaking and exactly what you want to see in a character that you don't want to see die. Yeah. Um, and so, like, with this one, we start off basically where we ended the last one where, you know, Dina and Josh, um, would they restrain Sam? Uh, go to see Berman's house to try to get help. And that's when um, she recounts the events of Camp Nightwing. Um, and that's when we kind of get introduced to all of our characters. Like we mentioned, you know, Ziggy is kind of like this troublemaker. Um, you know, she's like the like the popular girls don't like her. Um, the popular campers don't like her, like the Sunny Veilers. And they are kind of messing with her. And, you know, they... Um, they get convinced to like give her one more shot. And then we also, that's when we meet um, Cindy and Tommy who are cleaning the mess hall and um, nurse lane, who's actually the mother of one of our killers, Ruby lane attacks Tommy um, and, you know, tries to kill him and says that he will die that night. And then she's removed from the camp by the police. Um, and even, you know, we saw it a lot in the first movie, but even by this point in the seventies, like the rumor of Sarah fear was around. So mm-hmm. like all the, yeah, all the campers like know, and they're like teasing that it's, it's Sarah fear. Um, and you know, they're all kind of making fun of nurse lane too, because her daughter was Ruby lane, who was one of the famous like shady side killers. Um, we meet, uh, Alice's, uh, or Cindy's former friends, uh, Alice and Arnie, um, while they're having sex in the, uh, in the infirmary. Um, and then they kind of stumble, like we get, you know, our true, like lead into the plot. They stumble across this diary, um, that, you know, it was, uh, nurse lanes and it like infers that, um, Seraphir made a deal with the devil and, she like cut her hand on Satan stone and that's what gave her eternal life. And so they like go to investigate it. Um, and while investigating it, this is when Tommy becomes 
fully possessed um, and really like starts our killing spree off. Yeah, because Nurse Lane had tried to kill him because she said she saw his name on the wall. And when they're down there investigating, they um, see it, Cindy and Alice see his name. And she's like, what kind of joke is this? And cut to Tommy, who's like mumbling nonsense and picks up an axe and splits Arnie's head into just hack, hack. Oh my goodness. And yeah, like, props to the effects on this, yeah, on this project. They're so the, good. the kills are so good. They're very visceral. They're very effective. They're they There's, like that yeah. review even said, like they don't compromise like any of the gore for anything in this. It's like it's it's gnarly. It's a, like the kills are vicious. Yeah, and they don't ever cut away. There's never like a moment where it's like, oh, okay, like they just decide to go all in. The and one time they cut away is Tommy kills children in this, like straight up like uh-huh. 10 year olds. Yeah, and they kids. do cut away. But the fact that they did it, I was still even like, well, and then you my... see their bodies freaking dismembered. Yeah, I was like pretty shook because that's kind of like, you know, the rule in horror movies. It's like the unspoken rule. Like you don't kill kids. Like you kill teens, teens kill teens, right? It, like happens all the time in slasher movies, but like you don't kill kids. And like it is very like, very pointed out that these are like the younger children at this camp uh-huh. and like when that scene happened i was like damn they don't give a fuck they're going for it yeah. um yeah um yeah. yeah so so he kills arnie um and so while this is happening ziggy with the help of nick now is pulling a prank on sheila um and they start to bond um and they unbeknownst to them you know um Tommy is on the loose. And so we have Cindy and and Alice. They're stuck in like these underground caves because they were trying to get away from Tommy and they did, but they also kind of trapped themselves in this underground like cavern. Um, so they're like underground and they know what's happening, but no one else does. And while Sheila or not Sheila, goddamn these names, um, while Nick and uh, Ziggy are playing this prank, like we know that Tommy is on his way to the camp to like really start his full blown body count killer spree here. Yeah, and this is where like the big suspense of the film is because we know so all the all the campers are playing war, color war, so it's basically like. Shady Siders versus Sunny. What is that called? Sunny Side? Sunny Vale? Sunny Vale Yeah. Yeah, Sunny Vale. Is that right? Okay. Sunny Vale. And so, you know, they're like capturing people. I don't know if you've ever played this game, but you basically have to capture people from the other side. And then whoever has everybody captured at the end wins. Um, And so, you know, we see this happening. So everybody's out and about. Nobody's in their bunks. It's like a nighttime activity. Uh, And so we know that there's all these kids hiding and they're very suspicious of like somebody being like, oh, no, you have to come over here because there's like they're not going to believe you because they're playing this game. So they've set you up for this perfect scenario to be like, nah, all these all these kids are getting like totally chopped up, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, which you know, 
adds to like the the suspense of this, which I really enjoy because it just makes this whole part really tense. Um, so he go, yeah, he goes up there, and we know he's out there, and uh, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, he kills Joan. That's the first counselor he runs into. He just like <laughs> like B said, not cutting away, just repeatedly hacks into her neck. Um, this one feels kill- very like Halloween. I think it's because um, of the fact that she's like in her underwear and like I just it reminds me yeah, of yeah, 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 um, yeah. I could Todd. What is the, what is her character's name? It's Bob and oh yeah, Bob I, is her uh, boyfriend. The one, the one played by PJ Souls, right? Um, yeah, I, I cannot I think of that character's name for some reason, but uh, it reminds me of that whole kill. Not necessarily. Um, I mean, obviously, Michael kills with a knife, not an axe, and it's a different scenario, but the, just the feels of the whole, like... Yeah, sneaking into the cabin, he's in the bathroom, like... Yes, like they're having sex, sex while he's there, yeah. she's walking away, and then that's when she dies. Like, that it, that all felt very Halloween to me, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, that's that actually does track with Halloween a lot. Um, yeah, so she's the first to go. Um, we also, like I said, this is where um, we see Tommy attack like the camp counselors. So uh, that are in the cabin, like the younger camp counselors, they were like prisoners of the color war. Um, so they're all like hiding out in this cabin until it's over. Um, and, you know, he comes in and they're like, they know him as like Counselor Tommy. Um, so they're all obviously caught off guard and don't know what's going on. And they're dismembered by him. Um, while this is happening, we also know that um, Cindy and Alice are like getting their way through the cave. They run into this like weird like pile of organs um it like looks like it's you know a pulsing pile of organs Mm -hmm. which um alice touches it and then it's very similar to in the first movie where um when sam touches it um and she gets like these flashbacks of the past killers and all their victims um yeah the same thing happens to alice yeah so she like becomes very aware of what's going on um and they finally reach this disgusting point where they have to try to climb out through an outhouse but I mean, yeah, I, I get it. Like I'd crawl through it if I had to, to save my life as well, but like gross. And like this whole scene was so gross to me because like they built like <laughs> this wall out of like toilet paper and kind of like poop and it's, it's <laughs> they so didn't, gross. Oh, you mean like this crew did? I'm like, the campers didn't build this. That's what happened no, at the yeah, bottom yeah. of the outhouse. Yeah, like yeah. the crew. Yeah. <laughs> The crew for the movie. I'm like, who's building oh, that, Ryan? No, the that's just I was like, Ugh. and they yeah, did such really- a good job because it's like there's toilet paper stuck everywhere and it's like covered in urine. And I was like, I hate this so much. It's disgusting. Um, yeah, it's super gross for sure. Uh, yeah, I'd be, uh, yeah, it's gonna make me afraid to to not that I'm I'm normally afraid when using an outhouse or a porta potty. It's not a it's a fearful experience, but now I'm going to be extra afraid that there's going to be some freaking hole to the freaking witches yeah. beating. Like that whole, to me, I feel like that was like the, the heart reminded me of like monster house. You know how the oh, yeah, house yeah, yeah, yeah. is his wife. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like. Like the cave is 
Sarah Fear, and that was like her mm-hmm. beating heart. Yeah, no, totally felt that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is where our characters finally like cross over because, um, you know, like B mentioned, Ziggy was pulling a prank on Sheila and she goes to rescue her when they realize what's happening. Um, like they have become aware that they are in danger and that she's in danger. So she goes to rescue her. Um, and while she's in there, she's with another camp counselor, Gary. Nick is also out trying to save like the other kids. Um, and then, uh, they're trying to rescue, um, Sheila. And then she hears her sister and Alice down there. And so they're trying to save them. And Tommy breaks in and decapitates Gary. Gary, by the way, I realized it's that kid from Halloween 2018. Um, like the annoying friend who thinks that he can make a move mm-hmm. on um, mm-hmm. Lori's granddaughter. Um, but yeah, so he's decapitated. Um, Ziggy and Nick leave because um, they have to hide. And then um, Cindy and Alice are still like trying to find their way they, out. Yeah, they feel, realize that they they have to go a different way. Like yeah. it's not going to – they're not going to be able to get out from that outhouse. Right. So then there's a lot of like cat masks for a while. Um, You know, Tommy chases them into like this, I don't know, like fucking reptile room. This movie just had so many things for me that were, I, first of all, I don't like body fluids. And then second, um, I really hate snakes. Like I'm super terrified of snakes. And there's this whole goddamn scene in this movie where he breaks into this room and the snake gets out and crawls up like fucking. Yeah, I don't know. What is – I think there's – the universe is trying to tell me something because it was this movie. And then I read Home Before Dark by Riley Sager this last week. And there's a whole thing about snakes in that book. Like it's a big plot I, thing. And like snakes fall from the ceiling. And there's like oh, – yeah. I, <laughs> they're, like in, they're like in Holy the shit. wall. And then Yo. they fall <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's Snakes a horror are book. in the wall. Yeah, Ugh. it's a it's a haunted house, right? Um, or is it? Oh God. Uh, and nightmare. God, what else? Somehow snakes came up again because what the hell were we watching? Oh, in Cobra. Well, obviously Cobra Kai, uh, Cobra. But there's this whole scene. It's like a flashback to the military, and they're like fighting over a pit. So this. Like soldiers mm-hmm. are making the 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 Vietnam soldiers are making the American soldiers play like chicken basically over a pit of like a deep pit of like a cajillion snakes. <laughs> I like can't even handle. So this is all happened to me this week. What is a nightmare? What? That's like my what worst nightmare. What is that a nightmare. sign of? Why are snakes coming towards me? Why am I consuming I know, snake media? I'm going to stay the fuck away from you for a minute. Because mm. like if the, there's any snake stuff going on, I just – I can't handle – I I don't even look at the big snake on the Indiana Jones ride. Like I don't want to be around snakes. I are get it. Are you more afraid of snakes than sharks? Yes, because snakes are on land. Sharks yeah. I can avoid because like they're in the ocean. And like – yeah. And, exactly. and and I've got to the point with sharks where I have like at least like there's a lot of science and data to back up the idea that I won't get attacked by a shark. Like 
but snakes are just fucking everywhere and they move weird like sharks at least move like fish and like i'm like yeah they're swimming it looks normal for swimming snakes yeah, just snakes do this crazy. thing yeah i'm like why do you move like that like what the fuck and also like why do you attack everything that why do you just naturally think everything wants to attack you why do you slither on things the word slither itself is horrifying slither something slit nothing good comes from that word like if someone if you're like yeah he slithered on me no one'd be like ooh, that felt good like no it's disgusting i don't want it to slip i hate it i hate it all and yeah, yeah so there's like this whole fucking snake scene no there's this whole fucking snake scene in here and i'm not about it um but basically like it's like all of this stuff is going on to get alice and cindy and ziggy into the uh like mess hall um because that is where like kind of the penultimate final showdown goes down because um alice and cindy climb they they find a way out finally and it's just great in the mess hall and that's also where ziggy is finally cornered by tommy um in the like storage closet of the kitchen and this is where he gets his mask because like she's fighting against him and she's basically trying to suffocate him um, so she grabs the burlap sack and like wraps it around his face. Um, and she like essentially uses it to like suffocate him temporarily. Um, and then, you know, she's about to get be killed when Cindy manages to break out of this vent and, and, you know, kill quote unquote, kill Tommy. Um, and then Alice manages, you know, to also make her way out. Um, and that's when we go to the, like, this is where we lead to the ultimate finale of the film because they decide like they have realized that they can, they think they can stop the curse. Um, Alice found the witch's hand. Um, and, you know, because she like realize she realizes like um, that she was near Satan's stone. Um, she was like, I know where the body is. We just have to reconnect the body with the hand. And so they decide to go dig up the body and replace the hand. And this leads into like our final scene. Alice gets killed by Tommy, who has been resurrected. Like at this point, Sarah Fear's curse has come into full effect. So Tommy's alive, Ruby Lane is alive, and then I don't think we have a name for the other killer. But it's basically like a young boy um mm -hmm. wearing a mask and he uses like a baseball bat, I think, or a club. Um, and he's wearing like this creepy ass porcelain mask. Um, and he's also out. And so they go to dig up the body and the body isn't there. Um, and then this is where we get like our final scene, which is where, like we discussed at the top of the episode, um, Tommy absolutely brutalizes the shit out of Cindy. Like, oh my God. I was like, when is Just he going to stop? Away. Yeah. I was like, when is he going to stop hacking her? Holy crap. Um, and then, um, Ziggy is stabbed by, oh, is there a third killer? Harry Rooker? That was another one, right? No, that, yeah, isn't that the guy with, like, the burned face? It is, yeah, there is, a, there. so there's four killers total. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's like the, like, he looks almost like a milkman or, like, a mailman yeah, or something. Yeah, he's a milkman, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a milkman, milkman. okay. So yeah, because we get we do see glimpses of the milkman and the kid in the other um, in 1994, but this time they like fully show up because they didn't show up right. in the last one. 
And then we, uh, of course, see yeah. like all these killers in the very well-designed intro, which I can't believe I forgot to talk about in the first one. Um, but the the opening credits are just beautiful, and they do one of my favorite things where they help tell the story where you don't have to have a character be like, oh, hey, let me tell you about all these killings that happened. It's like, no, why we're acknowledging the – you know, casting crew in this movie, you're also going to learn about the history of what's going on before we introduce you to these characters, um, right. which I love that method of storytelling and um, the graphic design team behind it did a really good job. But yes, we find out about those killers in, in those uh, opening titles as well. Yeah. And then there's this, like, really beautiful, tragic scene where the sisters are dying next to each other, like, reaching for each other. Um, yeah, as, as it's beautiful. Killed. And yeah, it's too, and it's, like, pouring rain, and, yeah, it's really beautiful but really sad. And then the killers disappear because, as we know, like, once they've killed their target, they're gone. Um, and Nick finds Ziggy and saves her via CPR. He resusc- yeah, he resuscitates her. Yeah, and this and is... And I, yeah, ridiculously ship those two, like, so much. Oh, those yeah. little, like, I could not help myself. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to need to know why, especially because you know both these characters are alive mm-hmm. from the first one. I'm like, why aren't they together? And like, boy, I do need- you find out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But at this point, I'm like, I need them to be together. I'm obsessed with them. Like, holy moly. Yeah, I was very invested in that relationship. Yeah. Um, the whole no, star cross lover thing. was things. great. The chemistry was great with all the characters. Like, um, the sister relationship and these two I thought were super believable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we flash back to the 1994. She finished telling the story, and that's when, you know, um, Dean and Josh dropped the bomb on her that they actually did find the body that was missing from under the tree, um, and now they know where the hand is. So they go to reunite it, and Dina has a vision that she's in 1666 with Sarah Fear, and that leads us into the conclusion of this trilogy. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, it's... I want to rewatch it already. <laughs> um, I know. Yeah, I've actually already rewatched 1994, so I've seen it twice. Um, but like, this is one that definitely, w- like, walking away from it, I also just really, really enjoyed, and just I kind of want to revisit it already because it's like, it just it I like 1994 uh, like was my kick like my gut reaction favorite because i'm just like oh you know like i'm a night like i love the era and everything and i love all these like references to 90s horror movies and scream obviously but like the further away we get from them i I also just keep thinking about 1978 um because it just does a lot really right um just so brutal yeah no it it feels it already feels like a comfort movie and Mm -hmm. it just came out and it just fits in so well with those other Fridays. Like the props to Lee Janiac for just like perfectly finding something to assimilate into that feeling of, of summer camp slasher. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite kill in the movie? Uh, guess. Oh, my guess is Arnie. Cause I know you love an initial kill that sets the tone. Yes. 100%. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's so good. Yeah. Uh, I knew it. Um, I mean, I just, I know you. So, and that Arnie's close for me because I, I agree. It's so, it's just so sudden. And he just and turns so around yeah. and just, oh, and just like right said, in the they head. They yeah. Don't they don't turn around. away from it at all. Yeah. yeah. I think my favorite as brutal as it is, as twisted as this is, is Cindy, because I just, I really, there's something so touching and sentimental about like the way they're laying there dying, reaching for each other as sisters. I just think it's really beautiful. And like to come after a moment that was so vicious. Um, I need nobody and, like, to listen to this episode. We sound like such weirdos. <laughs> but like laying there, like, and also because no, I was, was just shocked. Um, genuinely I, beautiful. It really yeah. was. And I was also just shocked that I'm like, you're still going? Like, holy shit. Like, there's still, like, it was, like, the Arnie kill, the, like, this this entry more, even more than the last one, Arnie, the like, the unnamed campers, and then Cindy, just show the dedication that Lee Janiac had to be like, no, we're going fucking full tilt. Like, n- like we're just going, like, pedal to the metal. These slasher kills are going to be gnarly. Um, yeah, so I appreciated that. Uh, I did want to point out right before we get to the end here that because I think it's B finds the trivia for all these and one that I really love that I saw was it was filmed at um, Camp Daniel Morgan where it, which is also where Jason lives um, was filmed um, which is just really cool and leads like, yeah leans well for one it. scene right, they were at still, a different like, camp for the rest of it but I did think that was super cool that they mm-hmm. at least got to be at one place that Friday was filmed that Friday was filmed yeah and also yeah. one of my favorite. I love Jason Lives. I think that's a really fun like entry into that series. Um, it's positioned in the horror landscape. We said in the last episode, it's new. Um, people are stoked on it. It's you know, it has. It's definitely in the conversation with the uh, slasher revival. Like just like B and I. Like even though we're a couple weeks removed, people are still talking about it. People are excited about it. I don't think like the buzz for Fear Street's going anywhere for a while. Um, especially those first two. Um, I mean, they work so well, all of them as a trilogy, but like the first two just pay so much tribute to slasher iconography. And I just, um, this one in particular, just really like, you know, nails it. Um, Yeah. And then at the end of every episode, uh, we talk about, um, uh, we rank our movies. Um, and so you can find that uh, list at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. And that is, uh, we rank everything on how it does as a slasher movie. Um, so we examine it from every part. That's why we break the whole movie down from you guys, starting with, you know, director, score, uh, poster, down to like the kills, everything. Um, and right now, number one is still Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Um, I do want to at least point out that Fear Street number one, uh, part one, 1994, actually came in at number 15 for us last week. So it jumped up really high, really fast. And then the bottom of our list is both of the April Fool's Day with 08 being the absolute worst. <laughs> My God. Man, that movie is terrible. Looney Tunes bad. Yeah, you know movie's it is. Bad if, like, it's not Adel offensive, is, like, which is nice. seven above you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's not a book. Yeah, or it's not offensive. Oh. It's it's a uh, it's kind of a movie. 
See, that's like definitely I feel one like of those ones where I'm like, mm, it's barely a movie. Yeah, you get to the bottom of our list, and there's some like it's questionable. That's why you got to listen because it's like there are movies, there are good movies near the bottom. Like Happy Death Day to you is a good movie, but like for us, it just didn't actually work as a slasher very well. It feels very different, and so like that's why we rank it that low. B and I also both love April Fool's Day from 1986, but it's also like not really a slasher movie, um, which is why it's so low. But then there's also like this group of movies like Girls Night Out and Mischief Night and fatal games and bloody birthday that are just at the bottom of the list for a reason um man every time i look at this home sweet home forgot about that one what a gem where's iced i like that movie yeah, Iced is 37 good. yeah that's, Iced is that's fun. not too shabby that's kind of laying right in the middle yeah, yeah. we're gonna have to we we want to go through one of these days and just sit through and like just re-rank if we can just for fun um mm -hmm. i think it'd be really fun to have an episode where we're just like all right let's let's take the list and just rearrange and do what we want to do and also would be like fun do favorites rank, or something yeah that. just like rank it by like what our favorites are um yeah i think that would be fun it'd be fun to just kind of go back because there's a lot of these movies i mean yeah i mean there's 77 films on this list there's a lot of ones where i'm like i go to it, i'm like oh my god i forgot about that like you just forget that you've covered them it's, there's a lot man slaughter high should be higher <laughs> <laughs> anyway so we're on uh fear street part two um really hard to not just look at immediately at like 14 15 16 range because it does everything the first one did right possibly better like yeah and so now i'm taking back what i said about like the final girl arc as ziggy like cindy actually fits that stereotype of what a final girl is like kind of to the t mm -hmm. you know she's like the good girl she's you know got the nice boyfriend she's got the group of friends she's got you know we with alice plays sort of like the the bad girl of the friend group she's got like the loving boyfriend um and tommy which obviously we see him turn into the killer um we've got sort of uh alice's boyfriend who's kind of plays that like stoner role yeah that stoner like druggy role stereotype and then we have Cindy who then spends the entire movie trying to fight against getting killed and to mm -hmm. save her sister and to save. So why we have more of like the emotional development in Ziggy, we actually have like the final girl arc pretty damn strong in Cindy, like mm -hmm. to a T. Yeah. She just yeah, doesn't survive. I mean, She's just not a yeah. final girl because she doesn't live. Right. She lit, Which is kind of like, a great swerve. Yeah. It's like she gets to pass on. She she gets to be the final girl and give her life to her sister, basically. So she does everything she can to survive and then just passes that to her sister. Yeah. I mean, I think the only real, like, the, re the only re real, real downfall here is, like, um our killer is not super interesting um no because we we have a 
you know, sort of boring, lovable boyfriend who gets possessed and that's it. Right. But the kills are great. The kills are excellent. Like the kills themselves are great, but the killer himself is not very interesting. And we right. don't know like the full motive of like the full killer stuff yet. So, but like we do no, get more yeah, of that would, here. We do. And it would be more interesting if we were seeing if, so take this into a different scenario, take it out of the trilogy. And if this was just a standalone movie and he was being possessed by a witch, then it would be more interesting if we saw the witch controlling him mm-hmm. or like the finale mm-hmm. included the witch, but obviously that, that can't happen because we're not at the main finale. So that does hinder our killer 100% does not hinder the kills itself. I do. Yeah. Think- that kind of like, what do you think? What do you think? I was going to say, I do think though, as like uh, the formula itself, it does work better than the first one. I think so too. And that's, I'm actually kind of looking because of a lot of what we just talked about. I'm kind of looking at number 12. Cause I kind of think I look at like town and same thing where our killer isn't terribly interesting, but the kills are so visceral and like, you know, for lack of a better word, like beautiful in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like urban legend, which we both absolutely love, but also like our final girl kind of sucks in urban legend. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas this, we get two really good final girls. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I look, you know, like you look at happy death day. I think we just get more development with tree. Um, we get a little more of that, like solid final girl arc. We get a little more of her, you know, a lot of her, like her overcoming her, her backs, like the past, um, and her family and like everything like that. Um, we have it bringing something new to the slasher genre. Right, and it the was formula, of, but also adding something no, but, new. But also sad, adding something new, which is why mm-hmm. the only like real reason. But like, I I kind of think this might sneak in at number twelve here when when I'm looking at it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Town, urban, my bloody Valentine. funny sometimes i wish i could go back and like real quick listen to an episode and see why we ranked it because sometimes i'm like hmm maybe my bloody valentine should be above these two um uh-huh yeah i know i'm trying to th- yeah sometimes that's what happens and then you get in here and you're like well what were what were our arguments for that well because i'm trying I think to think my bloody valentine like we, like even though we like our final girl she's not like i don't think like we like jamie king i think i don't know i don't think she has a huge arc in that movie she kind of no. just survives yeah. Um, yeah. And then like, you know, we, yeah. Um, and we love how brutal it is, but also everyone's really unlikable in that movie. Um, yeah. so you end up not like caring about the people a- as much. Ought. Yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of in even, yeah. So, and no, I know we're like, because anybody. our final girl is the worst. Um, just right. We have an, person. you know, really great kills. We have a great killer reveal at the end. Oh. Um, yeah, we've got playing into the big blueprints, but then also those smaller tropes that pop up that you can see, like, you know, bringing all the bodies to one thing at the end. Um, there's a lot of like backstory into it. Yeah. It's a whodunit. Um, so urban legend really hits like all of the notes of like the big 
um, tropes and a lot of those smaller ones. And then town just town does, does that, that too. Blue- yeah, and it does that blueprint so beautifully. Right, um, because town does the whodunit aspect really well. Mm-hmm. It's just once we actually find out who the killers are, it's not as interesting. No, um, but, but leading into it, super interesting. Mm-hmm. And and like I think our final Familiar girl ties. is like, yeah. And then also our final girl is like a true like. I mean, she's a fighter like in that mm-hmm. movie. Um, and then the kills are just outstanding in that film. Um, I think I feel comfortable with this above my bloody Valentine, mm-hmm. but I still think that town and urban just, it's just the, the fact that this one isn't completely a standalone, just her. And I mean, you know how much I like this. I really do. I think yeah. if it was completely a standalone film, it'd be even higher. Yeah. No, but I tracks. think the fact that we just are missing some of the key things that we need to finish out the the slasher tropes because we just sort of have this – we just have kills happening that right. is fine and that, that happens in some of these movies, but a lot of those movies are ranked a lot lower for that exact yeah. reason. No, I'm cool with that. Uh, okay. That makes sense to me. So it's our new number 14. Now, for just for 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 funsies, just uh, purely hypothetical. If part one and part two were one movie, where do you think he'd rank it? Part one. Because I actually think, like, if part one, because I actually think part three is like it's still a good movie, but like I I probably would have been okay without even having part three, um, if not for the end of part two leading directly into it. But like part one and part two, like if they were just one movie do you think like that it'd be a little higher because i think if if they were one movie i think i'd probably put it like right above the burning and we got the oh are you talking about then we also got the 1994 aspect of part three because we have a lot of missing information without so ignoring 1666 Yes. So if we yes. only had the 90s and the 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely think it would – because we don't really need 1666 um, to finish out. It just gives us a long version of the the backstory of Sarah right. here. But yeah. really all of the things that affect our characters that we're introduced to in part one all gets wrapped up in – the second part of 1994. That's not confusing enough. I was very confused when 1666 ended. And then all of a sudden it was like 1994 part two. And I was like, that's kind of cheating, but okay, let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. I get you had to do that, but yeah. All right. But Um, yeah, I'm excited to dive into that uh, next episode for sure. Cause I, yeah, especially because, and it's definitely much different than the first two that we've covered. So, correct. Um, but we decided to do all three because they do work as a cohesive unit really well. Um, cool. So, Fear Street Part Two, nineteen seventy-eight, is our new number fourteen. Um, wow, got some really recent, like twenty twenty love up on this top twenty list here. Um, 
I mean, and, you know, Halloween from 2018 is number seven. So, like, we got some recent ones. No, we'll see where Halloween Kills ranks. We'll be covering that here in a couple months. And then Candyman. Candy's favorite. <laughs> Where I, is Candyman? No, it's number 48. Yeah, it's down there. We, we had a it, long discussion about that one. I remember. Yes. Yeah. I think we came to a fair place. I think we did, too. I yeah, I am uh, very very excited about the remake for sure. I'm excited to see the take on it. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh. Like I said, Fear Street Part Two is our new number fourteen. We'll be back in two weeks to wrap up the trilogy with Fear Street Part Three, sixteen sixty six. If you haven't watched the movies yet, check them out on Netflix. Not just because you should follow along with us, but because they're really really good, and I think you'll love them. So. We would love to hear from you, and you can find us online at KeepScreaming.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at at ScreamingCast. And if you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. It helps us grow and snag great new listeners. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep screaming!